not about what the outside world thinks. It's about what does, you know, what do you have in that room? And the best man wins, and you give everybody a shot at it. The outside world doesn't see the summer workout on a Monday morning. They don't see that progress, but, but we as coaches do. Well, regardless of what the outside world thinks, we, we believe a lot in our defense. Greetings and welcome back to the Outside World, the Athletics Oklahoma football podcast. I'm Jason Kersey. Uh, we are in off-season mode here, so a lot of depth chart talk, uh, a lot of transfer portal talk, um, you know, a lot of those kind of things. And to help me break all this down, I'm welcoming in uh, the Athletic National College football writer, my good friend Max Olson. Max, welcome back to the show. What up? Thanks for uh, thanks for joining again. Thanks for having me on. Max, the the transfer portal is ob- is obviously a big thing now. The, the you know we're we're o- ver- still very much in the infancy of this thing, and you've written about the transfer portal and how it doesn't always work out for guys who enter it. Um, mm-hmm. But OU has had a crazy amount of people enter the portal. I mean, nearly a fourth of the roster has entered the transfer portal just since last January, and a a bunch of those have been defensive guys just in the last couple of weeks. I mean, I I, I think. And I wrote about this, and I think that this is sort of a uh, a sign of actually, in some ways, a, a, a healthy program, a national title contending program, at least a program that wants to be a national title contender when things like this happen. Um, I mean, what what's kind of been your reaction to the flood of transfer portal people uh, that OU's had here of here of late? Yeah, well, it, you know, it's it's certainly a very uh, it's a very specific thing that's happening with Oklahoma, and that is you are seeing. Uh, a lot of their their guys that have been defensive depth here over the last couple of years um, decide to go into the portal here, whether it be you know guys like Jordan Parker and Mark Jackson and Levi Draper who who would be grad transfers, um, or you know some younger guys um, that, that that feel like they're not getting their chance. And I guess I'm curious from from your 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 perspective on that from your reporting. Do you you know there, there's obviously lots of reasons why guys go down this road sometimes. You know they get frustrated because they're not getting the playing time and the reps that they think they should be getting, and sometimes it's it's coaches sitting down with them and having a a, a pretty realistic conversation that hey that that you know it's it's not happening here, uh, we just don't know if this is the right fit or you know maybe this opportunity you're waiting for is not going to come and, and maybe encouraging guys to go in that direction. So do you feel like this is like do you feel like overall I I know it's all very case by case, but do you feel like with this group that we've seen here really since November. Is it more the coaching staff kind of giving these guys the hint they're not going to play, or or is it? Do you think some of this is a little bit of a surprise to the staff? Yeah, I, I think both uh, both is the answer. I mean, I think uh, I think there were definitely some very uh, real and uh, honest conversations had in the last couple of weeks since the Peach Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but I also think there are guys who you know. Kind of saw the writing on the wall themselves. I don't know that they had to be told. I mean, in the case of Levi Draper, I mean, Levi Draper is fascinating to me because he's a local kid. There, there are a lot of high school coaches in this state and and people and fans who believe Oklahoma doesn't respect Oklahoma high school kids and they don't recruit them hard enough. And and that the evidence of that is that you've seen Josh Jacobs and Dax Hill and uh, you mm-hmm. know any number of guys, uh, Josh Proctor at Ohio State, lead the state. Yeah. But uh, Levi Draper was a guy who came to Oklahoma uh, from Collinsville, Oklahoma. He was a really highly recruited linebacker, had offers from everybody. Uh, and, and you would think with the – incredible lack of depth OU has had at linebacker through the years. I mean, this goes back, 
Max, I mean, since the time that I was first on the beat in 2012, OU has mm-hmm. just struggled so much with linebacker depth. And you would think that a guy like that would be able to get on the field. Instead, in the Peach Bowl, what we saw is Kenneth Murray goes out briefly with an injury, and they bring in a walk-on and Brian Mead in his place. And you know that that is just that is just the story of OU linebacker the linebackers over the last several years. Even when they have guys like Levi Draper and Ryan Jones, they can't get on the field, and OU ends up trusting walk-ons more than them, and that's got to change. And so I think in Levi Draper's case, you know, there's actually a pretty interesting tweet. His mom tweeted something uh, pretty pointed about that as that happened, as <laughs> Brian Mead went on the field in the Peach Bowl. She deleted it yeah. relatively quickly. But uh, so, you know, there was some frustration there. So I think it's I think it's a combination of things. But clearly, Grinch wants his guys in there. And OU wants to be a national championship program. If you want to be that, if you want to be on that level, uh, every scholarship counts. And if a guy's not playing, you got to encourage him to move on. Well, and, and you've noticed from right from soon after Lincoln Riley took over as head coach of this program, he has said straight up like the, the recruiting on defense and the depth on defense is, is not where it needs to be and not anywhere close to where it is on offense. Right. And so it's interesting because, you know, um, there, there are definitely some players that have gone in the portal here. Like I thought Mark Jackson was going to be a really, really nice player for Oklahoma coming out of Cibolo steel. I think he, he ended up being a little bit too much of a tweener uh, in terms of what his role would be. Uh, you know, you saw flashes from Jordan Parker early in his career where you felt like maybe he could be a guy. Like, it's it's been hard for them to accumulate the kind of depth that, that, that Riley's been looking for. And, look, that there, there are going to be misses in recruiting everywhere, right? So it, it, this is not an indictment on anything. It's just – it's as, as it, I mean, best example I can give you is you go play LSU, right, and guys get banged up or guys get suspended or whatever – and when you have to sort of size up, well, who do we have that we trust to go play against the best offense in the country? It's it's pretty tough, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. No question about it. I mean, you know, and, and this kind of leads into, I mean, we at The Athletic, we, we've been running, uh, we're running depth chart, uh, you know, projected 2020 depth charts for all the teams that we cover and some uh, that we don't cover full time that, that you've uh, jumped in and, and helped out on. But uh, Oklahoma offense ran uh, on Tuesday today when we're recording defense and special teams for Oklahoma will run on Wednesday. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, you uh, you, you may uh, be able to go check both of those out. And on the defensive side, Max, you know, when I was putting this together, it, it's like I knew that the depth and the and the lack of, of really elite talent was was a problem. But I think when you sit down mm-hmm. and start writing it all down, you're like, oh, my God, they are really in rough shape on the defensive line. Um, they you know, had to go recruit two junior college uh, defensive tackles, and there's another junior college defensive end, uh, Dre Butler, that they're after uh, still, that they're trying mm-hmm. to sign in February. I mean, I, I know that you, you spent some time with Perry and Winfrey. Didn't you go over to Iowa and spend a little time with them? I visited with their, their, their coach at Iowa Western, yeah. Their coach, their coach, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you might be a little more familiar with him. I mean, I think he's going to have to start at nose guard because OU loses – Neville Gallimore, Marquez Overton, and uh, Dylan Famato, who all three uh, played a good amount, but they were seniors. And OU just has nothing behind them. And this is a problem that goes back. I mean, they haven't they haven't had uh, really elite, elite, elite defensive tackle play since Gerald McCoy. And uh, Neville Gallimore was was a nice player, and and his 
skills and size are probably going to get him drafted pretty high in the NFL. But I, I don't know anyone mm-hmm. that would think he was a Gerald McCoy, Dusty Dvorak level defensive tackle. I mean, Oklahoma just has not recruited that well at linebacker. They're extremely thin after all these departures. They look pretty good in the terms of the starters, but in terms of the backups, they've, you know, they, they really don't have much depth at all at inside backer. And then at safety, Alex Grinch played three guys and they were the three starters yeah. last year. Uh, if you count the nickel, I mean, they just do. And, and then you go to cornerback and they had, they were dressing three corners last year for most of the season. And one of them was, was Parnell Motley who's now gone. I mean, this is insane when you, when you really look at it, they, they are in desperate need of not just talent, but bodies. Man, when, when I'm looking at your death chart here, cornerback starters, Trey Brown, Jaden Davis, backups, Kendall Dennis, Joshua Eaton, like that's it. Both, both <laughs> true freshmen who are not on both campus. Both true freshman backups, not on campus. Yeah, and I like Joshua Eaton. He's a, he's a nice long corner and stuff. But like you, that, that you know, this is a very very hard lead to play cornerback in, and you need a bunch of them. And and as Oklahoma saw at times last season, right? Like you know, guy gets knocked out for targeting or gets an injury or something. Someone's got to go in and and cover really good receivers. And so, um, yeah, they've got to they've got to find. Uh, some answers there and, and find some true corners. And I think, you know, flipping Eaton away from, from Texas was, was a big deal there, but no, you're right, man. And, and, and Winfrey's an interesting one because, you know, you, you project him as a starter as, as the nose guard there. And, you know, I <laughs> have not heard the best things from the Iowa Western staff. I think they had some issues with him suspensions and, and um, you know, kind of discipline issues and stuff like that. And, and so I think he's a little bit of a project from that standpoint. And that's somebody that you're bringing in, and pitching that, hey, come come be our starter right away and be be a guy. And and so, you know, certainly he um, has got to get right, and he, and he's got to you know really step up and prove what he can do to this staff right away. Because, boy, you're right they they need him to be a force in the middle of the that defensive line. And see, Max, you had told me that before about Perry and Winfrey, and that is why I when I was sitting here making the projections for starter, I was like. Can I put this guy as a starter? Well, I don't have another choice. <laughs> I mean, you, right. you kind of look yeah. through yeah. this group. I mean, who who else is going to start at nose guard? I I can't pick. I can't look through this list of defensive linemen and pick anyone else who I think could start at nose guard. So they're really uh, going to have to to really step up their game in terms of recruiting big defensive tackles and. You know, I know that those guys are mostly in the South, but there's some of them in Texas too, and they've got to start going and getting those guys. They do, they do, and and I'm curious for as as you sort of work through this, um, you know, in, in talking about the portal too. Part of this is, has got to be Alex Grinch's assessment of what they have and what they lack and all that. And so I I was curious to see, you know, how they addressed uh, this 2020 recruiting class, and um, you know, certainly they 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 were at various times had some really big time guys committed on defense. You know, they had Drew Sanders committed forever. Um, they had Dante Manning. Um, I, he, I believe he was committed, right, and ended up going to Oregon. Like they, they, uh, you know, they. I yeah. think they've done it. They've targeted the right guys on defense. It's just it's a challenge to get guys there, especially when the reputation in the last few years is that um, they're not playing great defense lately, right? So it's hard to sell guys on the vision when you don't totally have um, the product to prove. Not, they're getting better. That there's no doubt they're getting better, and and and, and took a big step in the first year under Alex Grinch, but. Um, I'm curious what, what Grinch's perspective is on this, especially when you come from a place like Ohio State that just feels like they're just constantly stacked at every spot. 
Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that uh, you know you, you look through the yeah they had Dante Manning committed. Boy, could they have used him uh, in this class? Yeah. Um, Drew Sanders is kind of interesting because my understanding was always that they were recruiting him to play offense. And if that's true, and he wanted to play defense, that's kind of sense that they would that they would then right. Uh, and he and he uh, ends you know, up allow, being one of the best defensive him. players in Alabama's class. You know, yeah. So I mean, you know, I'm not as in the weeds on recruiting as other guys are, but that was always my understanding was that he was being recruited as a tight end, H back type of guy, and um, mm-hmm. that that just is foolish when <laughs> when you've got a guy. Uh, who who can be that good of a defensive player when you need yeah, defensive he's, depth? He's, so he's that bad. good of an athlete, though, that they could have probably gotten away with that too. So, it, but you, no, you're right. You're right about, about that. But yeah, I mean, real quick, I want to come back to the defense in a minute, Max. But I want to switch to the offensive depth chart just because that is what ran on Tuesday, and and a lot of people mm-hmm. are going to mm-hmm. be interested in that. We are uh, staring down with the with the. Uh, Word that Tanner Mordecai is going to stick it out and not transfer, staring down another uh, eight months of who's going to be the quarterback. It's going to be a battle. It's you know it's probably going to be the toughest decision Lincoln Riley's ever had to make because last year was choosing Jalen Hurts over Tanner Mordecai was the toughest uh, decision he's made in terms of quarterback battle. At least that's what he told us. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm curious from a national perspective. I mean I know that we on the beat get really frustrated buy all this every year, these uh, extremely obvious who's going to win it. And I think that we all probably agree that Spencer Rattler is going to be the guy next year. Uh, how, how does this stuff, do, do you, is this stuff even on your radar from a national standpoint, or is this just our, uh, our thing that we're annoyed by? I, I, so are you thinking you can, you should just like go on tweet deck, schedule a tweet for like August 23rd, that Spencer Rattler has been named the starter. I think I could do that, and it would be safe. Now you got to get the timing right. I think that you got to get the timing right because I actually have figured this out. It's always between like ten and twelve days before the season opener, or ten mm-hmm. or fourteen mm-hmm. days before the season opener. So there's some leeway there. I may get the day wrong, and and that would be awfully embarrassing if I did that. But yes, I think that Spencer Rattler is going to be the starter. It's and uh, and I'm not excited about another eight months of. I'm using air quotes, a quarterback battle. Well, I, I think this one will be closer than um, than Kyler Murray versus Austin Kendall. I, I, I could be wrong, uh, but I remember Lincoln saying that was the closest thing ever, too. So um, I'm, I'm just every joking, year. But I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and look, it, it, it's fortunate for Oklahoma in, in some ways that like if you're Tanner Mordecai and you feel like you're not the guy, you, you could just bail right now and go find a program you can play at. It's good to have a number two guy that actually will push Spencer, Spencer Rattler uh, at, at least through spring ball. And you, and you hope through the summer and through August, right? Because you, you know, let, let's not assume that Spencer Rattler's ready to go right now. Right. He, he, he's, he's hadn't been in the program that long, quite frankly. And, and, you know, getting, getting some reps against LSU and, and at the end of a blowout doesn't quite, you know, get you ready to, to go be the guy. Right. So I think it's good that they have Tanner Mordecai there to, to push him and, 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 you know, really ensure that that Spencer Rattler does everything he needs to do to get better. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, it, it, it was always fascinating to me as the season wore on and and folks started getting frustrated. And you think about like halftime of the the first Baylor game when you you saw all these people freaking out and saying, "Put Spencer Rattler in." And and it it, it seems like the fan base has an assumption of how good he already is. And and I'm certainly curious how how that kind of 
uh, aligns with the reality you see in, in the spring game and, and when you get some live reps there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard to say. I mean, look, one thing I can say, I think pretty clearly is this is, this is the best, uh, the most naturally talented passer OU has signed out of high school in a long time. I mean, probably since Sam Bradford, you know, they, 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 I mean, you look through the, the guys that they've had since then. I mean, Landry Jones was a really good passer, um, Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Sam Bradford, but I mean, they, they went through Trevor Knight, Blake Bell, who is now a, uh, a Super Bowl tight end, uh, who, who would have thunk that, um, they had Kendall Thompson and then obviously they had Mayfield Murray and, um, and Jalen Hurts who were all transfers in. But I mean, in terms of guys they've signed out of high school, I mean, Rattler is on another level. I mean, there are obviously questions about his maturity. Uh, I think mm-hmm. anyone who watched last chance, you knows not last chance. You, he wasn't on last chance. You QB one, sorry, I'm getting, I'm QB one. Yeah. I'm getting my Netflix. You're mixing up your streaming uh, television series. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyone who watched QB one, uh, could see that there was certainly some maturing to do. And we all know how his high school career ended, but this is a special, special talent, and I, I, I would really, really be shocked uh, if he's not if he's not ultimately named the starter. But then when you go down the rest of the way on the on the OU offensive depth chart, I mean they they bring back four starters in the offensive line. I think they're going to put Stacy Wilkins at left tackle in that fifth spot, which really sets mm-hmm. them up, I think, nicely on the offensive line. Bringing Creed Humphrey back, Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon are both really good running backs. You've got uh, obviously all that talent at receiver. I think they're offensively in really good shape. Defense is where is where all the questions are going to be, as it always seems to be with this team. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right about that. Now we, uh, so you know that I like to uh, to nerd out when it comes to comes to the old stop rate, right? That's exactly where I was going next. So well done, well done on that transition. Because Very good. I was going to ask plug you here for stop rate. rate. You know, it's like the because Tobias just, Finke thing. Like they're. Yeah. they're there are dozens of us, dozens who believe in stop rate. Um, so hey, hopefully, yes, abs- hopefully absolutely. you're one of them. Yes, um, and I was gonna. This is exactly where I was going with this because you do recently it. Let's came transition. out with sort of the final. Yes, you came out with the final stop rate. Uh, OU finishes 79th in stop rate. Which let's let's first of all let's define what that means, and I'll let you do that. What is stop rate, and what does it tell us? So stop rate is the percentage of all drives that your defense plays in which they do not allow points, right? So they, they force a punt, they force a takeaway, they force a turnover on downs. Um, and, and it's just a very, very basic measure of effectiveness on defense, especially, and, and, and it was something that was inspired by, by covering big 12 football and seeing that, you know, points per game and um, you know, yards per, per, per game, isn't really totally capturing who's playing effective defense. So it's how many uh, of all the drives Oklahoma played on defense um, you know, how many times did they actually get stops? And, and this season, uh, the, the answer is uh, 56%. Um, oh, excuse me. It was 56% last year. They were 117th in the country um, in stop rate last year when, when, when everything fell apart at 56%. And so this year, uh, I, I think you saw a pretty clear improvement. Um, they end up moving to, hold on, let me pull up the file here. Hold on. Oklahoma uh, got stops on 62.5% of their drives this season. Good for, you know, tied for 79th. And certainly that's nowhere near um, the, the folks at the top, you know, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, getting stops on 82% of their drives. And LSU with their, you know, best offense ever um, was able to get stops on, on almost 75%. So there's still a long way to go, but it's definitely an improvement 
uh, under Alex Grinch. There's no question about that. Yeah, uh, and I think that's reflective across the board of all the other stats we've seen. Obviously, they want to be much higher than 79, 79th, but but when you when you compare it to where they were, uh, they 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 certainly did make improvement. But I I do think that this leads into maybe a larger point about the Big Twelve in general because. What, you saw them go through the season, and they obviously were playing harder. They were playing faster. They were tackling better. All of those things were true, mm-hmm. but and, and their stats were better. But when they faced uh, a, an elite offense that they might have previously seen in the Big 12, in the Peach Bowl, they got completely torched. Now, yes, they were without Ronnie Perkins. They were without Delarian Turner-Yell. But still, uh, I mean, I guess... I've wondered a lot, especially since the uh, since the Peach Bowl, how much of OU's defensive success and improvement was was due to Alex Grinch. Certainly, some of it was, but how much was it due simply to this being a down year on Big Twelve offense and Big Twelve quarterbacks? This was not the same Big Twelve that we've seen in the past. Yeah, it's it's a fair point, and and, and I think you saw that was the reason why Baylor got as far as they did is by by playing. Uh, really, really elite defense um, in in the Big Twelve this season. They held every team they played um, under their scoring average this year, including Oklahoma. And and so, you know, this was a year where you saw a really great defense emerge. Um, and 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 I think you're I think you're right about that. I think there, part of that is um, the level of of quarterback play, um, which there was some steadiness there. But you didn't have you know this is not like a few years ago when when you had you know Mahomes and Mayfield and Rudolph and and guys kind of slinging it all over the field um quite so much so i think there's there's some some truth to that and you know it's interesting when you look at the the stop rate standings here so the teams that are kind of around oklahoma you know they finished a couple spots behind florida state uh you know purdue they finished uh actually did finish ahead of texas texas had an awful year on defense um but like the team right behind oklahoma's mississippi state who you know had you know just made a coaching change um so they're they're kind of among these teams that that had just okay years, not not very good years, and and uh, they're actually behind Texas Tech even in the in the stop race standings. So it gives you some sort of perspective of like Oklahoma didn't necessarily play losing defenses, right? I, I think especially when the bar is is set where it was at with the with the 2018 team, then um, you saw improvement. But you know if if you want to talk about Oklahoma playing, you know playing defense uh, on the level of the other teams that are in the college football playoff conversation, there's there's still quite a ways to go. Yeah, I mean, now in terms of the Big Twelve as a whole, you you've dove. You know, we're doing these depth charts. I, I know that you've done Baylor, you've done Iowa State. I'm sure you've read uh, some of the other ones. I hope you've read mine. Um, otherwise, I made a mistake bringing you on this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but but no, I mean, where where do you see the Big Twelve going? Because I mean, I think there's we're going to have to go through not just a eight months of OU quarterback battle, but eight months of Texas being back because of the way they played in the Alamo bowl and Sam Ellinger coming back and all of those things. Um, they've certainly made, I think some improvement on their coaching staff, but you know, Baylor loses Matt rule replaces him with Dave Aranda. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> always intrigued by what Matt Campbell's going to be able to do at Iowa state. I, I I'm just, and, and Oklahoma state bringing back Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace, uh, both of those guys was obviously a big coup for Mike Gundy. So I think the Big 12 could be better next year th- than it was this year. I, I think it's possible. I, I think you you certainly are excited about uh, what Oklahoma State's been able to do this offseason. I have, I have no idea 
how they convinced Chuba Hubbard to come back. It's not really in his best interest as a, as a running back who wants to make money in the NFL to uh, to spend a, another year doing this for, for free in college. But, um, you know, what a coup for them. Uh, Tylen Walsh made a little bit more sense just because he's coming off the ACL and all that. But I think Oklahoma State is the team you're, you're really excited about. I think the expectations are going to be really cranked up for, for Tom Herman in Texas. And by that, I, I mean more the pressure than the, than the hype. I, I think that, uh, you know, with, with a senior quarterback and Sam Ellinger and, and some of the pieces they have back, um, you know, their, their excuse coming out of the Utah game was, well, we were really banged up on defense. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I, that they, they sort of cited that as the reason why they disappointed this year. And I'm, and I'm you know, in, in, in making the, the hires they did with your and, and, and Chris Ash, curious to see how quickly they turn it around. I think Baylor's going to, going to have a steep decline this year. Um, just based on the fact I, that's not a diss on Dave Aranda, it's just, they lose nine of those 11 guys on defense. And, uh, and so they have, a, they're really starting over on that side of the ball. And, uh, and Matt rule really took the, took, took the, took everyone out of that building and brought them to Carolina. So it's going to be a real start from scratch there at, at Baylor. I, I think you feel good about Iowa state and what they have coming back with Purdy and, and Brees Hall and, and Charlie Kohler and, and, you know, some, some great guys were some really good players on defense. And, you know, the one that we still didn't talk about very much during the season, uh, you know, boy, Kansas State, you, you feel like that thing's heading in the right direction. I'm certainly curious to see what they look like with another year uh, developing under Chris Kleiman. Um, but I, I didn't expect them to go in eight games in their first year. Um, that was a big step forward for them. And, uh, you know, I think some of the, 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 the programs that really struggled this year, like I think West Virginia will be better. I think Texas Tech – should be better. Um, I, I think it's going to be another league that's uh, really competitive from from top to bottom, with obviously the the exception of Kansas. Yeah, <laughs> uh, poor Kansas. Gosh, you know, I, I don't know what what it's going to take for them to uh, to get that thing turned around. But um, you know, coming coming back to Texas because I, I think that people, probably a lot of the people listening to this podcast and OU fans in general, roll their eyes and get annoyed every year by this by this Texas is back stuff. And then they, you know, they go out sure. and, 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 and do what they do. I mean, I, I cannot believe, I mean, Texas, I, I believe I saw that they've lost, have they lost four games every year in the last decade? Is that right? It's something, it's something <laughs> crazy like that, isn't it? It's something like that. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't have it in front of I me mean, here, but it, that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, and they, and they're recruiting. Well, I, I thought Tom mm-hmm. Herman was a home for them and and maybe he will end up being I mean do you think that they're they are legitimately on the verge of uh, of this becoming the Mac Brown Bob Stoops OU Texas of the early 2000s or or is this fool's gold again Uh, you know this is this is really the uh, um, this is really the crossroads of the tenure for him Um, there 2020 he's going to go into this season with I think seven new assistant coaches something like that um, they, it's a completely different looking staff, um, going into this and, and it's not fully put together yet, but, um, they, you know, th- there was real accountability for, for such a disappointing year. And, and they, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of coaches moved on. I think, uh, you know, I was surprised that Todd Orlando was pushed out. Um, it looks like he's going to land on his feet quite nicely at, at USC, but, um, I, I think that that part of it is, is the wild card to me is just how does this staff come together and, and, and are, is Tom Herman going to bring in some coaches that, um, you know, do a better job of developing their talent. Cause I think that's the, that's the issue here. Tom Herman can't, can't and doesn't sit around saying, well, we just haven't recruited well enough. It's, 
you know, they've had a bunch of top five classes and um, they've had a top 10 class in this last, you know, in 2020 cycle here. And I think it's a matter of, of taking these guys with all the hype they come in with and actually converting them into NFL talent and, and into a, you know, all big 12 players and a, and a team that looks like it should win a, a conference championship. And that's just, you know, that's not on one person there. There's not one fall guy there. It's just, they, I, th- this is the, the, the problem that they really have to confront after such a disappointing season is, uh, what are they doing wrong from a developmental standpoint and, and, and from a scheme standpoint? And how do they, you know, get the most out of their players in, in the year ahead and with a little bit more pressure on everybody? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, uh, from my perspective, I would love if Texas was a, a, pers- a consistent top 10 team again because that the OU Texas game is so much more fun when both teams are are legitimate national title contenders as someone who grew up going to that game uh in the early 2000s I I the the now the game is always fun I love that game it's my favorite yeah thing of the year by far but uh, when when the stakes are really 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 high um it's even better so well uh, and and bottom line like look I, I I'm not I'm not trying to I'm no Texas homer I covered them for a while but I'm not I'm don't have orange blood or anything like that, right? I didn't go to Texas, but I th- I think it is I I think it is ultimately true that the the performance of Oklahoma and Texas have a huge effect on the perception of the Big Twelve and how strong the Big Twelve is, and that matters a lot for playoff stuff. That matters a lot for for national respect, and and, I, and that's no diss to Baylor, or Oklahoma State, or, or or TCU or anybody else that has done a really good job of 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 rising up and competing for for Big Twelve titles. It's just it's it's an important thing overall for the Big 12 when when Oklahoma and, and Tech are both great. I could not agree with you more. Um that Big 12 champ when it's when, if Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 championship is is the ideal scenario I think for the for the conference every year and that may be completely unfair to Baylor and and everybody else. Before I let you go while while we're on the subject of the Big 12, were you surprised that that Matt Rule took the Panthers job? I mean, I know everybody sort of had him pinpointed uh, you know, as an eventual NFL head coach uh, for a while, but mm-hmm. were you surprised this is the opportunity he jumped at? Were you surprised he left after only three years? Because I, I mean, I got to say, from my perspective, uh, I thought the Big Twelve was better for having Matt Rule in it, and and I'm a little bit sad to see him leave the league. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I thought that this off season there's a real chance of it, um, and that's because for a long time, you know, folks inside the the Baylor program have worried about the New York Giants job opening up, that that was sort of viewed as the dream job, the job he couldn't say no to. Um, you know, he, he'd spent a year there, but he had a lot of ties to that organization. And so when that job opened up, I figured, okay, I think Matt Rule's going to move on. So from that standpoint, I was I was pretty surprised and impressed by, by what the Panthers were able to do to get the first interview with him and give him everything he wanted and, and – uh, you know, land him as, as their guy to, to really turn around that, that franchise. And, um, you know, I'm not surprised he, he chose the Panthers. I think the, the ownership situation there is a little bit, uh, more appealing to him and, and all that. But, um, you know, Matt rule, I think he kind of had to do it right. I mean, the, the, for, from his standpoint, the leverage was never going to be greater for him than it is right now. And, and, you know, certainly there were NFL teams that, you know, the Colts wanted him when he was one and 11 at Baylor and, um, you know, he had a couple opportunities last year that 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 he you know turned down, but uh, the, the leverage to ask for a, a you know a Godfather offer and and uh, a franchise say yes, this was the best time for it after the season the Baylor had. So made sense for him, and uh, you know, really really enjoyed covering um, his tenure at Baylor. 
obviously was fascinating to, to see where they started and where they finished it. And uh, just that guy was a was a treat to cover, and uh, you know certainly will be very curious to see with him and and Joe Brady, OC in in Carolina, you know what they can can accomplish there. Yeah, they are going to be a lot of fun to follow, especially for college football fans. So, um, yeah. Well, Max, th- thanks so much for joining. Um, you know, if you're not subscribed to the Athletic yet, uh, please check it out. You can go to theAthletic.com/slash. The Outside World uh, for 40% off for a year. Um, this is a good time to sign up. Uh, we just got some good news today. Uh, some more uh, some more investment into the company. So people people love The Athletic. We, we are so happy and so thankful for all of you who are subscribers. And Max, did you see who is on the list of investors that just came uh, out today? All right, the, all right, all right. Matthew McConaughey. The Minister of Culture. The Minister of Culture himself. The MOC is so, on board. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so... Uh, I don't know how appealing that is to OU fans necessarily, but he's also a great actor. So come on, it's got to mean yes, something. Yes, OU fans, please do uh, not unsubscribe from the Athletic because <laughs> Matthew McConaughey invested some sum in this company. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Max, hey, thanks, man. It's always good to catch up. Hey, are we are we not doing a Curb Your Enthusiasm recap? We, we're just gonna we save can. that for off the pod. We can do that. No, that's probably not. One. I thought it was that, great. I loved it. I thought it was great. I'm, I'm glad to have it back. Um, that was, they, they jammed a lot of very current stuff into that first one, and it was it was awesome. Glad to have it back. Can't imagine can't imagine where they're going with this, but uh, but Larry David is is my bald hero, so I will always love that show. But thanks again for joining, Max. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back next week with a new episode.